Hi guys, it's Karen. Sometimes I go by my real name, Kristen. Welcome to Rational in Portland, where we say everything you can't say in Portland. Welcome to Rational in Portland. Thanks for joining us. Today, our guest is Mark. Mark is a lawyer in Portland, and we won't be giving his last name because he has concerns about repercussions socially and professionally. Why? Because he's a gay conservative in Portland. I actually can't think of any gay conservatives I knew in Portland until I met Mark. So I was excited to talk to him. Mark grew up in a conservative religious family, so you will hear his very touching coming out story, which didn't occur until he was in his 20s. You'll also hear about what it's like to be a gay conservative in Portland and how he squares his orientation as a gay man with his conservative values. Stay tuned. So I, as you mentioned, I'm a lawyer in Portland. I've been in Oregon since uh, around 97 when I moved here to go to law school. Um, I'm gay, uh, I'm conservative, um, and I find it especially important those two adjectives don't always mesh very well. Say, say more about that. Well, I think most people think that gay, that being gay means you are liberal, that you're going to subscribe to some of the more left-wing uh, ideas, um, and that it's, in, that it's impossible to be gay and to be conservative because conservatives are seen as being as hating gays or being against gays. Um, and I just find that partly because of how I grew up, a lot of my uh, feelings about government, feelings about how, how the world should run, are more aligned with what conservatives have tended to believe. Um, and just the fact that I'm gay doesn't change that. When you say that you're conservative and you have thoughts about how the world should run, can you can you just kind of tell us a little bit, a little summary of your political philosophy at this point in time? Yeah, so I am generally smaller government. Uh, I generally consider myself to be more along the lines of, I guess, what might have been a Reagan Republican. Uh, Smaller government, um, big on states' rights, um, big on personal responsibility. Um, I don't think the government is the first answer to very many problems at all. Um, I think that smaller units, whether it be family or uh, county or city or state, are a better place to uh, attack attack issues than the federal government. Um, And and those are kind of, when I was growing up, that's kind of all what I saw as uh, Republican or conservative. I'm a a big proponent of free markets, not completely free, but, you know, I free markets, um, free speech. Those are kind of the things that I've always thought of as being conservative values. Now, I will say I don't consider myself a Republican either because I don't think the Republican Party today is aligned with what I consider being conservative. What do you mean about that? I think government, uh, the Republicans have gone too far into, well, first of all, they're not fiscally responsible. Um, 
spending. Oh, Trump sp- spent like a madman. I mean, that was that was like, fascinating. Crazy. I mean, I've never, I in recent memory, I I've never seen a Republican be so ecstatic about spending money. I, I think and handing out checks, like literally does. writing people. Che- I mean, I know it was a pandemic, but like he was so thrilled to write people checks. Yeah, and I think well. I think Trump, especially because he is so concerned about what people think about him, um, rarely Wait, do I see narcissism yeah, there. I'm not. I mean, well, let's face it. Anyone who wants the title of leader of the free world has to be a little bit more narcissistic. I mean, a million percent. Um, but as far as Republicans are concerned, I, you know, even with even with gay marriage, which I didn't necessarily support, but I understand the idea that I don't want the government in my bedroom. There's, yeah. Leave it alone. Um, to me, a lot of my conservative values are more along social social ills or th- ways that I think the, that society should behave. Um, like, for example, we'll just jump into a big one. Um, abortion. I am what I consider to be pro-choice in that I believe that a person has the right to choose whether they're going to have sex, with whom they're going to have sex, whether to use birth control, what kind of birth control to use. And if any one of those choices are taken away from them, they should have a wide range of options available. My concern is that more as a society, we've gotten to the point where we will view abortion as a contraceptive item. And it's just okay to have an abortion and then have another abortion without any real thought as to what's happening behind that. Just uh, last week, there was a, a tweet from <clears throat> um, Planned Parenthood of Georgia, I think, saying, you can have multiple abortions. And I just thought, yes, you can. But is that really the society we want to be in? What do you say to people who might <laughs> say, look, Mark, you're a gay guy who... Um, really shouldn't be mansplaining what women can or can't do with their bodies. Well, one of the things we I didn't mention, which I think is important, is if we're going to talk about the idea of women ought to have the right to choose to use, to use contraceptives, is I think they ought to be more widely available. I think there ought to be ways to hold men responsible if men are out having sex indiscriminately because men don't have the same uh, consequences of indiscriminate sex as women might. So I think there are ways that the tables can be, or the scales can be balanced a little bit. But I guess if someone says I have no right to you know, be involved in the abortion argument, well then I guess if you're straight you have no right to be in the gay argument. It just doesn't. It doesn't work for me that as a society we can say that because this particular ill doesn't harm you or harms you less than others that you can't have an opinion about it. You know, I think people. I think you're onto something because I actually think people in Portland might say, if you're not gay, you have no right to argue that gay rights should be limited in any way, um, because it, you know it really doesn't affect you and it's not about your liberties. I mean, they, they might say that. I, I, I think it's likely that they would. 
I, well, I think we sort of saw that with gay marriage. If you don't like gay marriage, don't get one. I mean, that was sort of the, you know, it doesn't bother you. It's and stuck. you were against gay marriage. I was against right? gay marriage. Well, talk about that. So my feeling was always that I thought that the government should get out of marriage completely. I thought the government should do civil unions, and it didn't matter whether it was a gay or a straight, but you, if you went to down to the courthouse and, and were hitched, it was a civil union and leave marriage to the churches. And my reason for that was because I was concerned, and I think we've started to see it, that if gay marriage became legal, then there would be people who would be going after churches because churches refused to recognize gay marriage. And I think that religions ought to be able to choose, if it doesn't align with their beliefs, not to recognize gay marriage. But now that it's legal, then it becomes much harder. I've never heard that articulated. I think that's really smart and interesting. Now, you grew up in a religious household, right? I did. Uh, my family was quite religious. I was one of five kids. Um, and I also grew up in a small town that was mostly conservative. Do you feel like that's where your conservative philosophy comes from? Or do you think you would have a conservative philosophy sitting here today if you'd been born, say, in in Portland and attended Cleveland High School? It's definitely where you grow up. I, You know, a lot of this is learned. I don't know that anyone's born conservative or born liberal. Um, I am probably more liberal now than I was growing up just because as I got no, I've gotten away from a small town and moved to bigger cities, I've seen things and realized I had to change my mind about things. Um, but... I think our, my core values, uh, those, were, those were developed at home when I was growing up. How are you more liberal? What do you think has changed since you got to Portland? I think I'm more, well, I'm more live and let live, although I'm concerned about where that's taking us now. Talk, say more about that. I think when we get start getting into some of the uh, debates around trans rights and uh, non-binary and use of pronouns. It's like, well, it doesn't bother you, whatever, just, you know, just let it go. But we're starting to lose some social rules, if you will, about when it, what, is a, what pronouns it's okay to use with someone. Um, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think we've moved in some ways to where live and let live has gotten to live and let live where it's almost back to the hippies of the 60s except reversed (laughs) although if it's literally I, i don't really know that it's live and let live because if it was live and let live you wouldn't be pilloried for accidentally screwing up pronouns i mean it seems like part of the problem is the left wants it the fringe left wants it both ways they want and tell me if you if this resonates at all or if this rings true but it seems like they want you to use the correct pronouns and to recognize someone as trans who phenotypically may not appear trans may still appear as their cis gender but if you screw that up, it's not live and let live. It's it's destroy, cancel, um, 
it's really only once a one-sided live and let live it seems like oh i i agree and i think that's something that's bothered me about the gay community and i guess i need to be careful because when i say gay community i think there's a an expectation that i'm talking about all gays and i you know we have to draw some generalities right. have a conversation so but let's figure out when you say gay com- community in that context do you mean the portland oregon gay community that that you associate with or do you mean what you perceive to be uh thoughts about the gay community just generally just in general i think where i was going with this is this is one of the things one of the the first things for me that sort of made me realize that the gay community wasn't as um concerned about diversity as they say they are and back in california during proposition eight they had all the no hate signs people were getting their faces painted that said no h8 on it and there were big signs about no hate and everyone was doing it and i was on you know my friends were doing it on facebook and i was and i would see them do see them post a picture of them and then watch the absolute vitriol that they were hurling at straight people who were people who were going to vote against measure eight and I just realized, okay, so no hate doesn't really mean no hate. No hate means believe what I want you to believe and affirm me. And for our listeners who may not know, tell, tell us what Measure 8 was. Remind us. Measure 8 was uh, legalizing gay marriage in, well, actually, I think, yeah, it was legalizing gay marriage in California. Um, and that was also one of the first examples I recall of doxing. Um, Talk about that. The voter rolls in California were being posted online and people who were against people who were giving money to the yes on prop eight campaign were getting outed. Um, They were having their um, businesses picketed. Uh, My parents lost uh, friends and um, my dad was in the medical community. He lost patients over it. Because people were looking this up and seeing, well, you, you know, you're giving yes in this campaign, and therefore we can no longer be associated with you. And I started realizing, okay, so this isn't. I mean, that to me sounds more like hate than the fact that they're donating to a, a political process. Do, is it your understanding that the reason that your parents were against Measure Eight were was based on religious beliefs? Yes. And I think the no hate campaign would probably say that's that's bigotry it's rooted in bigotry right yeah and i i think it you know it may maybe maybe we can call it bigotry but i don't think bigotry i don't think all bigotry is hate i mean i mean i would call it probably there talk more about that not all bigotry maybe bigotry is not the right word i would say that it was more rooted in a bias and not all biases are hate. You and mean a bias against the idea that pe- gay people could get married? Yeah, I think for... Because and I think the no hate people would probably say a bias against gays. Yeah, but I think that's a distinction between drawing the idea that I don't think you should get married and I hate you. I mean, my parents have gay and they've worked with gay people and they have gay friends... That doesn't mean they hate them. They've invited them into their homes. Um, But they view marriage as a 
a religious um, contract between a man, a woman, and God with the idea of this is how the population procreates and this is really where the, the major function of the family unit is to procreate. And that sort of ties into your idea that I think is really interesting that would solve that divide of civil unions and marriage being a civil deal. Like even if you're married in a church, the government stamps it. And then anybody else who wants to get quote unquote married, uh, if they're outside of a church, it's a civil union that the government also stamps. And um, I guess, uh, and, and then you're saying that this distinction is marriage is really something that only happens in a church. I think that's where, I think that would have gone a long way to appease the religious community. And there was talk about civil unions, but the talk was always, well, we'll give gays civil unions. And the talk then was, well, that's not the same thing. Right, it's, it's separate but it's equal. It's a separate but equal. And, and I was actually saying, push it farther. The government does civil unions. And just leave marriage to the churches. And then if you're if you're a religious or if you're an atheist or for whatever reason you don't want to get married in a church, there are plenty of religious people who don't, they get married on the beach or, you know, they don't want to get married in a church. It's a civil union. Yeah. And then it becomes a mainstream deal where there's plenty of straight people, maybe even more given the amount of religious decline in this country generally, certainly in Portland, I can imagine. Um, maybe even more people, straight people, um, who have civil unions, and then we get rid of that separate but equal deal. Right. And I think there, there's problems with it because marriage is so, the word marriage is so entranced in our society. Culturally. Well, yeah, are you married? Yeah, there's a lot of are cultural. You, you know, that's what mm-hmm. it means. Are you married? Are you getting married? And we have to change all of our language. But look at what was happening with the trans. I mean, we're, we're changing our language. Yeah. They, them is now a singular pronoun. I mean, right. things change. And it's always interesting that to My me. My favorite that, is she, they. I, I, I've never quite, or he, I've never quite <laughs> understood that. I, same. I, if anybody is listening and they understand what that's about, please, please let us know. I did ask someone who has on the pronoun or their profile that I know, and they said, oh, I'm just saying that I'm okay with either the he pronouns or the they pronouns. You can use either one with me, just don't use she. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but That's so interesting. So were you against Measure 8 because of this philosophy that – marriage should be a religious ceremony and civil civil unions was really the way to go as far as whatever the the government stamp stamp of approval um would happen partially yes partially because i saw gay marriage as being sold as something that it really wasn't um, gay marriage was being sold as, look, we're just two people who love each other, who want to be in a relationship. They want to be in this close monogamous relationship with each other. It's just like a straight marriage. It won't do anything to erode, you know, the idea of marriage. 
Um, of all the gay couples I know, I can think of two now who are monogamous. Most of them are have open marriages. And I don't necessarily think that's, if you want to have an open marriage, that's one thing. But don't say that you're going to uphold this idea that marriage is a monogamous relationship and then don't. It was, to me, a slippery slope, which I know people hate slippery slope arguments, but I think we've seen it play out. So do you think that, are you saying that gay marriage has deteriorated the institution of marriage? No, I think straights have done that on their own. I mean, I don't don't think marriage, (laughs) I don't think marriage means what it used to be. Yeah, I don't think so. But from the religious standpoint where I was coming up, I do think that there is a a large number of people out there who still view marriage as this very sacred contract. Um, And the fact that it's now being degraded or degraded may may not be the right word, but it's being uh, turned into something different is important to them. It's taking something that's important to them and making it cheap. And, and, and I think that's where I had problems with. So I know you grew up religious. Are you still religious or do you consider yourself a religious person? No. And when did that, did you ever consider yourself a religious person or did that slough off at a particular time? I think I consider myself religious probably up until late 20s. I didn't really come out until uh, my mid-20s. I started the coming out process early 20s. And I I think I had always known, but as with many, I think, conservative religious people, I thought, well, it'll go away. If I do everything right, God will take this away from me. This is an affliction. It's not something that, you know, but I just thought I could could pray it away. I did go through what would would be considered, considered reparative therapy. Like conversion therapy? Conversion therapy. Not the... Not the um, electrodes on your on your nuts type thing, but you know, I I went through therapists who the idea was we're going to diminish the gay in you as you can live a live a live a happy life as a heterosexual straight male. How many sessions of that did you do? Oh, three years. Three years. Yeah. Did that totally screw you up? No, I it didn't because I to a certain extent I realized that yes. Being gay is who I am, but how I chose to live my life as a gay man was also up to me. That being gay didn't mean I had to be running around um, doing everything that we see the gay community doing. I could just live my life. It just so happens that I'm gay. And I think that was that was important for me to realize that I didn't have to make being gay, the number one defining thing about who I am. And you you sort of came to this realization during the conversion therapy? Yeah. Wow. Because part of so the... So it almost helped you sort out your thoughts about your, your existential thoughts about yourself? I, I, I really think it did. I think because the therapy I was going through wasn't the hardcore that was we're going to completely get rid of the gay. What they were saying is, look... You can diminish it. You can diminish your thoughts. You can diminish your feelings. You can learn to live with these in the background. So they're not, they're basically repression therapy is what I would call it. Okay. And we're going to make it something that, you know, it's just, it's, it's not going to be, doesn't have to consume you day in and day out. And you're saying that you, well, are you saying, are you saying that you felt that to be persuasive? Yes, but not to the extent that, 
they were trying. Well, it didn't have the outcome they wanted, obviously, because yeah. you're still gay. Yeah. It's not wasn't going to change me from being gay, but it also felt like okay, I could never, I could never marry a woman, for example. I could, I could never do that, knowing that I could never really love her like I would a man. So I could never go that far as far as repressing this. Um, and I know people are going to think, oh, he's just a repressed gay. He's just repressing it. And I, I'm not repressing it at all. I'm, I am gay. I know I'm gay. My love life is prime is is gay i mean not primarily my love life is gay um i am comfortable being a gay man i just don't think that being gay is the number one defining authority i don't i don't live my life with a rainbow sticker on my car um because gay is not the first thing i want people to associate with me i don't want to be that gay lawyer i don't want to be that gay whatever I have a lot of other qualities that I think are more interesting than the fact that I'm gay. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like in Oregon and certainly in Portland, and I think this extends to the Oregon State, the makeup of the Oregon State Bar, and frankly, legal organizations and legal communities um, as well. I think that if you fall into an identity category that has been historically discriminated against or historically repressed, women, gay, trans, even disabled, certainly any person of color whatsoever, any any racial category other than white, People tend to lead with that. Like I've noticed Tina Kotek leads with, I'm going to be the first lesbian governor of Oregon. And in fact, she's getting national press for that. I just read something in NBC and the headline was, Tina Kotek is probably going to be the first lesbian governor of Oregon. I mean, this is, this might be plank one of her campaign. I mean, I think it is. Um, and I've noticed even just, you, you know, you flip through any legal periodical from any Oregon community, and it's the same kind of thing. It's here, here's an essay from this lawyer of color. Here's an, here's an essay from a gay lawyer. And, and that's really what they lead with. So, have you noticed that? Yes. And it, it drives me nuts. Well, say um, more about that. Like, for example, when Pete Buttigieg was confirmed, they were all big about the, f- the fact that this is the first gay cabinet member. But then they, it was pointed out that there was a gay cabinet member under Trump. But so then they changed it to he's the first gay, ca- gay cabinet member uh, approved by the Senate. Well, okay, fine. So now we're going to have the first gay cabinet member approved by the Senate on the first Thursday of a month. I mean, if we keep going down, we, I just don't think being gay is that unique anymore. But at the same time, I think it's interesting that we are now seeing straight people who identify themselves as queer because it it has social cachet. Yes, because they, so I have spoken to some, I mean, it goes as as young as elementary school, kids, elementary to, it's older elementary, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth, um, who say they identify as queer. Portland, Oregon, of course, say they identify as queer, use they, them pronouns, but have, when I just care, I'm just curious about it. When I ask them how, how that works and how that plays out in their life, they say they do not identify as being homosexual. 
they do not identify as being bisexual, as being non-binary, as being trans, but they feel like there's some social pressure to show your allyship um, and to show that you're not homophobic and you're not a bigot by identifying as queer. Have you heard about any of this? I haven't seen, I mean, I've seen some stuff on Twitter. There was a guy in uh, England who was arrested and then came out and said, well, I'm queer, but he only has, only has sex with men. Um, that, I can't remember the details, but <clears throat> at the time I thought, I'm confused here. So now straight people are aligning themselves with the LGBT community by... Do gay... Is it your sense that gay people appreciate that or like that? I mean, is that... Is that alignment or quote-unquote allyship? Is it perceived as allyship? Or is it more... I mean... I'm in my 40s, so I remember when queer was a bad word and sort of like the, felt sort of like the N-word, the gay community was able to repurpose that as a positive word that they would use, that other people couldn't use, that gave them, uh, reclaimed it. And so it seems odd. I mean, I would think... It, that it would be odd to someone who's middle-aged and gay hearing straight people call themselves queer, maybe offensive. I don't know. I've, I don't I've, know. I don't, I've never heard anyone who's called offensive. I've, in my close group of friends, we've all just sort of laughed at it and said that's stupid. Um, but I think on the bigger level, it goes back to this live and let live thing. Where, okay, they want to identify as queer, fine. Let sure, them identify right. however they want. It d- doesn't affect me. So let them hit. Fine, fine with me. Doesn't, so no there's no, I just, yeah. And, and if there's no offense to it, I really don't care either. But, um, okay. Well, I guess it sounds like there's no issue with that. There's no issue with the idea that queer was reclaimed by the gay community and now straight people are using it. I'm sure there are people who are But they're not using it, it in a bigoted way, of yeah. course. Um, I'm sure there are people who are upset by it, but I, you know, not in my circle. Yeah, I think you, living in Portland, you would have heard by now. Um, and, and to, you know, some of that live and let live stuff, I think is right. I mean, when I hear you say you're not hearing pushback on that, I just go, oh, who gives a crap? They can call themselves queer. Uh, what about this? Does Do you think, um, you know, you said being gay is not the most important thing about you and that uh, putting... Uh, whoever your sexual proclivities are, whatever your sexual proclivities are front and center is, is strange to you. But do you, do you think representation matters? I mean, like if, if little Mark was watching Pete Buttigieg sort of rise to power of become a real player in, in national politics, do, do you, would that have mattered to little Mark? I think representation matters, no question. And I think it's important that people are allowed to be who they, who they feel they need to be. Um, but growing up conservative, I mean, I remember I was probably 12 or 13 
and we were watching the news one night and there was a gay pride parade in San Francisco and my dad said if I ever found out one of my kids was a queer I'd shoot him and that must have been devastating to hear at 13 I knew kind of what was going on but yet at the same time I thought oh it'll go away I wasn't you know I thought oh it's not big so what I really needed to see was someone who was living a completely normal life and was just gay. I didn't need to see people who were running around in brightly colored wigs and in thongs in public and in leather. And that so to me was what gay became. would have mattered to you. Would have mattered, yeah. So, and I think that's important that we have people who are uh, Tina Kotek. The fact that Tina Kotek, you know, is, is, could be the next governor. I think that's great. I just don't think that it needs to be about the fact that she's a lesbian. If she makes it, I hope it's because she is qualified and it has good ideas for Oregon. I have my concerns, but that aside, I hope people aren't voting for her just because she's a lesbian. I see what you're saying. So what you're saying is representation certainly matters. And to the extent you identify with a category that's been historically repressed, historically discriminated against, of course, you should publicly identify with that category to the extent you're comfortable to assist maybe kids out there who feel like there's nobody like them uh, in leadership. And they, they can look at that and say and be inspired by that. But you're also saying that shouldn't qualify you for a position, for a job, for a, certainly not for a political position, and you're saying that that shouldn't be the deciding factor as to whether or not someone is elected. Right. I think it's an interesting trait that a, that a person has, um, but sexuality, I, I cannot imagine, well, I'm sure I'm, I guess I thought about it, I could, but I can't imagine a time that that would be the number one thing to vote on. We may have reached that time. <laughs> I mean, when I hear people talk, I, I am voting for, right now, I'm voting for, for Betsy Johnson, and that could change. But when I hear people who know my, I'd say, super progressive views about gay people say, well, that doesn't align with your political philosophy because Tina's gay, and don't you want to see the first, I guess Kate Brown says she's bi, so it wouldn't be the first gay governor, but don't you want to see the first lesbian governor of Oregon? I mean, there is a part of me that thinks, I, I get where the people who, that, that might be their number one issue, I get why they vote for her and instinctively want to and are inclined to because they they want to you know I mean to be honest decades ago I don't know that she would have made it you know she probably just based on her identity I I don't know that she would have even in Oregon um certainly not probably not in the 80s um I don't think so I think she'd have to like have a some kind of male beard or, you know, pretend that, that she had a, had some kind of long-term relationship with a man. Um, 
And so to that end, I think people feel like, hey, let's let's correct what we've done to these categories, oppressed categories of people and and get them into office. On the other hand, I agree with what you're saying, which is just because she's a lesbian doesn't mean she's going to be a great governor. I mean, there are billions of people out there who um, fall into various historically oppressed identity categories that would make really shitty governors. Yeah, and I think, going back to my conservative values, I think this is one of those things that I like, I'm not opposed to change. I like change slowly. And as more competent, qualified, gay and lesbian people work their ranks, work their way up through government, there are going to be more and more to vote for. I don't think we should be voting for them on that just because we want to hurry hurry it up and get a bunch of gay, gay and lesbians into, into office. Now, on the other side, and, and I am just as frustrated when I hear people say, well, I can't vote for her because she's a lesbian. Well, why? Well, have you heard that? Oh, yeah. Is that... Not, not necessarily about Tina, but in, have in other heard, cases. Have you heard that in Portland at all? No. This is, um, this this is, this is, this is my your, conservative group. I got like, it. Yeah. From your, like, conservative family and thing, right. re- very religious... Correct. ...people who, um, they, they don't feel like... Is that because they don't feel like a gay person fits into their moral box of who they believe a, a state leader should be like um, morally they're i don't know because i've never really pushed it the way i've always pushed back on it is i've said okay and i like you know when we were when people do judges running i said okay so if, if he wasn't gay but everything else was the same would you vote for him and they're like no i'm like why and then they would tell me you know policy things like okay so <laughs> that's fine but you don't have to lead with the fact he's gay because really that's not why you're not voting for him if he was straight you wouldn't vote for him either so don't use that bigotry to say that's why you're not voting for him. Keep it to the issues. What do you think it was that caused you to stop being so religious that kind of allowed that your sense of being a religious person to slough off? I think it's after going through therapy for several years and deciding that I... I got to the point in my life where I realized I could be religious in the traditions that I had always understood religion to be, or I could be gay. I couldn't be both. I, I couldn't find a way to reconcile those two. And so I chose gay. Now that What about like the Episcopal Church <clears throat> or something? I think for me, because once I gave up religion, I sort of just put that, I closed that book. I see. I, I just... I've never felt a need to go back and reopen it. Yeah, you don't have a need for that. I still would consider myself a spiritual person. I still think there's probably a higher power, but it's just not. That's not. That's not what my daily life is is revolving around now. Yeah. Do you, did you feel like you needed to replace that uh, religious? factor with with anything else like with meditation or I mean did you I know you say you're spiritual so did did you replace that piece with like a philosophy that you believe or or something that you exercise like yoga meditation anything like that no um 
and you don't feel the need to, you don't feel like there's a hole to be filled. I don't feel like there, I mean, no, I, no, I don't feel like there's a hole to be feel, filled. I think it was hard for me to, in, in many aspects, my social life had been also um, revolving around my religious community. But once I moved away and went to college, and then especially once I went to law school, that wasn't the case anymore anyway. So I, my social life wasn't determined by my religion. When you came out in the <clears throat> early 20s, um, are you comfortable talking about your coming out uh, journey? Sure. Um, it was long. My coming out was long. I mean, I remember, gosh, I remember being eight, seven, eight, nine, and playing with my cousins in dresses. And I think now, thank goodness my parents didn't suddenly make me tell me I was trans. Yeah, now they call you trans. Yeah, because I actually like being male and I actually like being gay and I, that whole thing aside. Um, and then I had that experience with my dad that was sort of, sort of scary. And then I thought it would go away. And early, in my early 20s, I realized, okay, this isn't going away. So that's when I started looking at uh, the reparative therapy. Um, I came out to my family when I was probably 24. Um, and Were you I, living in Portland by that time? No. Um, I wasn't living near my family, but I wasn't living in Portland. Um, I came out to my family. Um, my mom cried. My dad took me back to the dorm, and we didn't talk for six months. Um, and that was tough. But what was that ride back to the dorm like? Quiet. Um, but I remember when I got out of the car, my dad said, your mom and I love you. That meant a lot. Even though I didn't feel it, looking back, that meant a lot. Um, so then I started therapy, and I told my parents that I was in therapy, and then my parents were like, well, at least you're in therapy. And so it was this gradual process of coming out. And I think when I finally moved to Oregon in 97 is when I decided I was going to leave that all behind me because I was, like, I was starting a new I'm starting a brand new area. I didn't know anyone out here. I was coming out here. You were going to leave all of what behind you? All of the, all of my religious um, beliefs and yeah. background, everything behind me. I didn't have anyone where I felt like I had to be nervous about them knowing. I just thought, I, I, you know, that's fine. So I moved to Oregon. Um, the very first person I met when I moved to Oregon was what I would call a militant lesbian. She was out, angry, demanded everybody know that she was a lesbian. And, and I just looked at that and thought, that's not me, and that's not, that's not what I want to be either. Um, so I sort of found myself sort of thinking, okay, well, I don't want to be that out. Um, <clears throat> well, or maybe not. Maybe you could be that out, but not have that kind of persona or those kind of expectations. Yeah, and so that became, and this was this was mostly in law school where I, I don't think I ever hid the fact that I was gay, but I never really told anyone I was gay either. I just sort of let it. As people found out, I didn't deny it, and that's who I was. Was it hard for you to feel like you fit you fit in or to create? 
figure out what your identity was because there's you're really seeing extremes right you're leaving one extreme this religious conservative extreme and then you're plunked down with this other extreme of the as as you described the militant lesbian and you're thinking i don't fit into any of these categories and and i don't want to be i'm not either of these people I think it would have been worse. Well, I didn't see it that way. I was moving to Oregon. I was starting school. I was with a bunch of people I didn't know anyway. I had a blank slate. I I just started making friends. So did and it feel more liberating? Like, I don't want to be where I left. I don't want to be like this person I just met. But I can... Here, I can be who I want, and I have a fresh start, and I'm just going to create my own identity that I'm comfortable with. Yeah, and I just, sort of, I just sort of found friends that I had things in common with that I like hanging out with, and that's sort of how I started to create my identity. Um, again, I didn't really tell people I was gay, but people found out quickly enough, and I didn't hide it, but it's like, it, I guess to me... Uh, a friend of mine who teaches school told me early on, he said, unless they want to sleep with you, what difference does it make? And I've thought about that. And I thought, it's true. If someone asks me if I'm gay, it's like, well, unless you want to sleep with me, what does it matter? Do you feel offended if people people ask you if you're gay? No. Um, offense is an interesting thing for me. I try really hard not to be offended by other people's stupidity, um, ignorance, questioning, uh, that, that to me is not offensive. Um, I think people choose, people look too hard to be offended nowadays, and I just refuse. I've had people say things to me that were pretty much derogatory, and my response was, all right, you're an idiot. I, have, I see no reason why I should be offended that you're an idiot. Believe what you want to believe. It's just, that's not my issue. So you said you don't put being gay front and center when you first meet somebody or when you come into, just in the way that you live your life. Have you received any pushback um, since you got to Portland or really at any time um, from people who might be considered left or or far left wing or progressive for the fact that you that you don't lead with the fact that you're gay because I think in Portland it's I will say I think you're in the anomaly you're an anomaly I I don't know because I don't know how many of us there are out there I mean, obviously, when I go to gay bars or gay, gay functions, I assume everyone there is gay. Of so even there, there's that. When I go someplace else, a I have really, really bad gaydar, so I've given up on that generally. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> unless it's obvious, I'm probably not going to catch on. So it just doesn't. I, Which means you do have to center yourself in gay communities if you want to find mates, since you have such (laughs) terrible gaydar. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's one of the nice things about gay bars is you can make the assumption that they're they're, they're gay. Now there are straights that go, but for the most part, there if there's a straight guy at a gay bar, he's not going to be offended if you go up and talk (laughs) to him. That's right. To be expected. Yeah. 
Um, I have had peer, I have had experiences where people have told me, kind of like what we talked about earlier, that people need more role, role models and that I need to be out more so that people can see me. Um, I've had people tell me that, you know, if it weren't for people who were more out, that I wouldn't be as comfortable as I am being in. And, and I think they're absolutely right. If it weren't for some of these people who were willing to be out and proud then I think we may not be as far along as we are as far as accepting gay people in, in, in society. Um, but I don't think that's the role everyone has to take. Why not? I mean, if that's true, don't you have a moral obligation to, to also be a model for um, another, like, previous version of Mark who didn't see a lot of people out there who looked like him. Maybe, but I don't really see myself out, out, out and about where people would see me. I mean, my, my social circles aren't like that, but at the same time, I think that I do my own work in making people recognize that there are gays all around. When I was in law school, I was talking to a friend of mine who was end of our first year, and we'd been friends all year, and we were talking about, I don't know what we were talking about that came up, but we were talking about gay issues, and he said something about all gays being, you know, uh, running around in short shirts and being promiscuous and, and and some not very nice things about gays. And I said, are all gays like that? And he said, yeah. I said, well, they're not. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm gay. He's like, no, you're not. I'm like, I am. He's like, well... No. So we had a conversation about the fact that that's not what every gay person is like. And there are gay people who are just people. And you would never know they're gay. And they're not all flaming. And they're not all feminine. You wouldn't necessarily know everyone you look at as gay. And so he had a real light go on in that at that moment and realizing, okay, so my concept of what gays are has just been taken down a notch or two. And so in some ways, I think I am doing, I am doing the work. I'm just not doing it out in the out and proud and loud way that others are doing it. But wouldn't that person that made the argument that you need to be more aggressive about your identity as a gay man, wouldn't that person argue, look, had you been more aggressive about putting your identity front and center, that conversation never would have happened because that light bulb would have gone on for that guy long before that conversation i don't think we would have ever been friends for us to have that conversation if i had been out and proud and really? I, I don't think he would have ever been friends with me necessarily because we had been friends and it had never been about sexuality um i just wasn't we didn't talk about it but couldn't you have been isn't it possible that you could have been friends and it not having to do without sexuality and hit and you just being upfront about the fact that you're gay and moving on to other subjects and then him as he gets to know you over that year realizing that you don't fit into all sorts of stereotypes or preconceived ideas that he had about gay people or sure. do you think he's not the kind of person who would have been as close to a gay person maybe in a friendship context as he was with you and that the only reason he he was that close to you is because he didn't know that Maybe, but I think also it was my first year. I was coming, I didn't know who would be okay with me being gay, who wouldn't be okay with me being gay. I was still trying to figure out 
how open I wanted to be about being gay. Well, previously so, you were so used to people not being okay with it. Yeah. I. So were you afraid? I would have been afraid. I don't know that I was, I don't know that afraid is the right word. I, I didn't, I honestly don't remember thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like the pronoun thing. It just seems weird to me. Uh, My name's Mark. I use he, him. That's just weird to me. So I take it you don't have pronouns in your email signature. I don't. (laughs) And if I see them in a Twitter bio, that's usually an indication to me that something crazy is going to be coming out of that account. That they may not align with you politically or philosophically. Yeah, or they may have some problems with logic. Well, talk, what do you mean problems with logic? Talk about that. I just, when I see some of the things that people write, that I look and think, where is that coming from? I don't, I can't think of a good example, but I go look at their pronoun and I go look at their profile and there's pronouns and I think, oh, okay, well, all right. Um, because I think there has to be a, 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 I think in order to buy into the idea that you have to, you have to declare your pronouns, you have to buy into the idea that gender is not a binary and I don't buy into that. I think people can have widely varying male and feminine, uh, male and female traits or masculine and feminine traits, but to me, you're still either a male or a female. You were describing to me a situation, we, we spoke before this recording, and you were describing to me a situation at work once you were working as a lawyer where somebody was, and maybe I'm ascribing this to them, but it sounded like they were upset that they hadn't known that you were gay before. Yeah, I, I, I remember what we were talking about. I don't know that they were upset, but um, I was in the office talking to an attorney, and we said something, and I said, and it was some, an attorney that I had gotten to know over working there, and I said something about um, going to a, a gay bar, and the person was like, okay, so what's the deal? Are you gay or not? And I'm like, yeah, why? She said, well, people around here don't know. And the conversation got into, well, why should they know? She's like, well, you should be proud of it. I'm like, I'm not not proud of it, but it doesn't change anything about the lawyer I am. So why should I put rainbow stickers on my door of my law office? I don't specialize in gay and lesbian rights. So it's just it's just who I am. It's just like I have green eyes or I have black hair. I, that's That's just who I am. So I didn't see any reason to announce it at work. And in Portland, I wasn't worried about people shaming me for it or shunning me for it. Yeah, that's not that an issue wasn't we an have issue. here. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately. Yeah. So it wasn't a fear thing. It was just more of a, that's not who I am. Do you feel like that person understood your response? Or did was it just, did it just further frustrate them um, and confuse them? I think it was maybe along the lines of what you were talking about earlier is that there was this person perceived some social cachet to being gay and wondered why I wasn't taking advantage of it. 
I mean, it would have been great for the diversity committee in the firm. I don't think the diversity committee even knew I was gay. I'm, I'm sure they did at that point, by that point. Yeah, I mean, actually, was the person talking to you on the diversity committee? Because speaking um, as somebody who served on a diversity committee at a law firm, I, you are under so much pressure to, um, and this is back when women lawyers were, I mean, I'm so old that this is back when women lawyers and certainly women shareholders were far, I mean, I, th- I still think women shareholders are far less common, but just even female lawyers at bigger firms were less common and, um, which is why I was on the diversity committee. I don't think I'd make dog catcher on any law firm committee today, but I, so I was, you were sort of tasked with engaging like a human heat seeking missile to ferret out people at the law firm that fit into diverse categories that you could sort of parade, parade out on the website. Um, and, And we worked for a lot of companies, a lot of, woke i we didn't call it call it that then but it was more like they literally had quotas for law firms that they would use and you had to meet those quotas you had a cert, you had to have a certain number of people that fit into diverse categories before they would even consider you for work so that they could use that as a branding or as a, a marketing tool and so there was a fair amount of pressure for people on the we didn't call it this then but the the dei committee to just find these people um gay was easier in portland but certainly people of color now it's easier i mean decades ago maybe even 10 years ago it was it was rather difficult um and i don't know i kind of to the if that person was on the diversity committee i kind of sympathize with them and And that that is not, that doesn't sound good. I mean, it makes it sound, I don't know, in my head at the time, I thought, well, this is great. And people who fall into these categories should be so thrilled that we want them and we want to, This then this is where it takes a turn, trot them out, if you will. Um, and then I think about you and what you just said. And I think, oh my gosh, you know, maybe we were, we were not, we were thinking about y'all as identity categories and we weren't thinking about y'all as complete human beings or having, or, or good lawyers. I mean, and really, if I really think about it as much as I also believe representation matters and I kind of follow the Bakke Supreme Court ruling philosophy that all things being equal... A, a, an identity category that's historically repressed should be a plus. And I, I believe that. I agree with that. I think there's value to diversity. But um, really what we should be looking for is good lawyers, right? I mean, w- wouldn't clients just want lawyers who get results? I mean, it's all it's all very interesting, isn't it? It is. And that's, and that's kind of where I'm coming from is I this whole idea of I understand and I, I like you, I love the idea of being in Portland where there's lots of diversity. This is so much better than where I grew up, where I knew one. Surely from where you came from, there must be more people of color here. Oh, absolutely. Um, going to going to school, I mean, I went to a, a private school, but I remember, God, even there, there weren't very many black people. 
in my law school. I think there were four that I can remember, and that was here in Oregon. You know, going back to what you were saying, this is kind of where I was headed, is that I want to be known for other traits than being gay. I don't mind that people know I'm gay, but I don't want to be their token gay friend. I don't want to be their token gay person on a committee. I don't want to be... I, I have much more to offer. I would rather be there for my competence um, or even incompetence, I suppose. But I just, the fact that I'm gay really isn't that big of a deal. You know, it's so funny that you said that because if you had been around when I was on the DEI committee and I learned that, the first thing I would do is conscript you into that committee. I mean, immediately. And then, and then we might do some photo shoots with some marketing and it would have nothing to do with your abilities or, or your pedigree or your academic background or, you know, even what you practice. Yeah. I've recently had this experience. I was working with a nonprofit and we uh, were putting together a committee and we wanted to, we wanted to be diverse. Um, and we felt like we needed to have um, a person of color on there and we had one, um, but for various reasons they had to step off. So we got another and that person had to step off and, we got to the point where we we're just looking for people of color to invite. And I thought, well, wait, but wait, we have work to do here too. And we really need people who can help us do the work, not just because of the fact that they're a person of color. That that doesn't get us anywhere. In fact, it's just going to make it harder. Did you actually vocalize that? Not in those words. Um, but I basically, we, we found someone who was a good fit Um what I was trying to do is I had certain boxes. I was trying to fit as many boxes as I could, and I needed someone who would... Like it, competency. Yeah, competency or coming boxes. from th this type of background or, you know, coming from the perspective of a parent, coming from the perspective of a teacher, coming from the perspective fit of... the nonprofit. Yeah, different, the different types of things that fit. And we got someone that was already represented in other ways, but I was fine with it. But I just felt like... Hey, we are bracking our brains here thinking about people on skin color first. And that just seems so backwards to me. I thought that's the whole thing we were trying to get around. I know. I know. Um, this reminds me, my kids were watching a older movie. It's a sort of a tween children, late elementary children's type movie. And it was old. It was like decades ago, maybe late 80s early 90s when it came out and there was a song in this movie where they were saying we don't care about the color of your skin and my kids who are in elementary school turned to each other and said or looked at me and said that's so racist it's so racist that they don't care about the color of somebody's skin and I thought, I immediately, I just said, well, isn't that what Martin Luther King taught us? I mean, wasn't that the central message that he, he couldn't wait for a world where we were judged by our character instead of our skin color, where skin color wasn't front and center? I mean, it's just so interesting how there's been this philosophical shift. And I, I mean, correct me if you think this is, I'm off track here, but I think my guess is what happened. I don't exactly know when this started um, to become mainstream. Obviously, I think 
the academics have talked about this and they delve into like the postmodernist philosophy, like Derrida, Foucault and whatever. Um, and, but that was all intellectual background stuff. What I think when like it became front and center, my guess is the philosophy went, um, well, the Martin Luther King version hasn't worked and they're still, they're still to the, today now 2022 there still are not a lot of black people certainly not at law firms in portland oregon certainly not in leadership um represented in various professions not at ohsu not as as physicians and so what we need to do is make skin color front and center i mean do you think that's what happened Because it definitely shifted, right? Yeah, and I've always viewed it as people didn't like the colorblind attitude because it was perceived as somehow negating or refusing to recognize the additional or the the, um, struggles that people of color have. That somehow we're trying to whitewash everything and just say, oh, we're all the same. And and I never viewed it that way. I always viewed it as, look, we're just not going to make color the thing that we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on all your other attributes. And nor should we, right? I mean, the message, when I was growing up in the 80s, the message was always, it can't be the focus exactly and, and it would be wrong morally wrong if it were the focus i mean all you know the whole idea of we're going to take people's names off of uh applications we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can so people don't know who's what what color people are because we don't want people looking at color and now we've seemed to turn that around and say no color is really important and we're going to start segregating people again according to color i'm like wait how we got past all this what where are we going yeah it's, it's really interesting and like you said back when we were learning and when i was learning as a kid that color cannot like morally it would be morally reprehensible to make color front and center it wasn't like we forgot about the history of discrimination like Japanese internment camps didn't just suddenly disappear in our heads. We still learned about slavery in school. We still watched Roots. We still watched the Ken Burns Civil War documentary, which really brings it home, which I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen that, you're, um, you've been under a rock or you're missing a chip. Um, you should really watch that. But if, you know, it's not like we memory hold historic discrimination i mean we were literally following martin luther king who was the head of the civil rights movement because black people were treated so badly i mean the fact that we were just mirroring his philosophy seemed to acknowledge the history of oppression i think that's right i think we and what happened i don't know what happened to that i don't know where we've gotten strikes me is not getting us any place good. I mean, I look at look at the rainbow flag. You know, the rainbow flag that used to be six colors is now has pink and has the intersectionality. Yeah, how do you, and, as a gay man, how do you feel about that? Well, 
I hate it. I mean, to me, the idea of the rainbow was the fact that everybody was included because it includes all colors. Just because the flag only has six of those, it was a representation of the rainbow that was supposed to include everybody. And now we're breaking it out into smaller and smaller and smaller groups. And it's strange to me that here we are saying, okay, we're all going to be in this together, but we're all going to be in this together in our own little groups, and we're going to keep breaking it off and breaking it off and breaking it off. And I'm like, the rainbow covers everybody. I see some of these lists of genders or lists of sexual sexual sexuality, and I think, what are we doing? Holy smokes! (laughs) (laughs) Some of them I don't even know. I think this idea that we're going to somehow come together as a group of people, no matter how big or small of a group we're talking about, that's not going to happen well, as long ha- yes. as we keep dividing ourselves. How do we come together if we're, if the focus is on our differences? Exactly. And, and I think it's interesting during COVID, a lot of the conversation during COVID was how the United States is too individualistic as a society and we care too much about individual rights and people aren't wearing willing to wear masks for the good of the community and all this but yet at the same time the same side i'm going to use that loose that term loosely the same side is arguing we need to break up into all these little categories because we're not being represented i'm like okay those don't fit to me i mean yes you're represented and yes we care but you don't have to go sit over in the corner by yourselves and have your own little powwow. Come talk to us. Let's all talk together. By the way, I don't think you can say powwow anymore. Uh, I think you're going to get canceled on Twitter for that, Mark. Okay. Well, we can we can talk about language because that's one of my... Well, let's talk about that. Drives me nuts. It seems to me that the left has done a very good job of changing language when it fits them. Uh, so... Phobe doesn't mean hate anymore or scared of. Oh, you're a homophobe. It now means you, you hate it. It's not you're scared. Uh, isms don't mean anything. Racism, I have no idea what racism anymore is. I, I don't know what that word really means anymore. I know what I've always thought it meant, but that's not how it's being used today. And I don't have a problem with language changing. But at the same time, language can change to where things that used to mean something no longer mean those things. Well, and that could be dangerous, right? Because if racism doesn't have the same oomph that it had decades ago, when you call out a legit racist, um, like somebody from Adam Waffen or, or Richard Spencer or something, it, it, it loses a lot of meaning if you're also calling... Betsy Johnson racist like it just it, it it dilutes the word and the power of the word and the the way we should be con- condemning the Richard Spencers it, it, it doesn't mean it, it exactly so what word do we use now when we really want to talk about right. a racist or a white supremacy, or a white supremacist? <laughs> when we use and and I think we saw this really you know during Trump Everyone just started saying they're racist. Anyone who votes for Trump is a racist. Yeah, I heard that a lot too. It was really confusing. And I know lots of people who voted for Trump, and I would not consider any one of them to be racist. Yeah, I wouldn't either. And I also know people of color who voted for Trump. And a fair amount to the Democrats' absolute angst, a fair amount of 
Latinos voted for Trump. Well, and I think if you look at the polling now, there are more and more Latinos and by the way, Latino, not Latinx, right. Latinos and blacks that are that are going more on the Republican, leaning more Republican now. Well, yeah, I mean, the data is um, bizarrely enough to self-describe progressive uh, white people that the polling does not suggest that black people are in favor of defunding the police. No, I think if, even if you look at the polling where you look at racism, racism comes up at like five or six. They're interested in the economy. They're interested in jobs. They're interested, I mean, racism is way down on the list of things, too. I think I just saw it on Twitter this morning, which, you know, Twitter's not always the What, what do you mean by that? Racism is down? Not that racism is down, but the as far as what they're concerned about. Oh, I see. What people of color are concerned about. Right. What what what? I think I saw that issues too. matter to them. Um, yeah, so the it's violence and crime was one, economic issues was two, housing was three, COVID nineteen, public health four, infrastructure, neighbors, no issues, public safety, racism, diversity, and culture. Wow. But you'd think, especially living in Portland, which feels like kind of a hermetic echo chamber, you would think that that would be issue number one. And I think it is for white elites. I agree. Yeah, I agree. If you've been on Twitter, I'm sure you've probably seen Rob Henderson's luxury beliefs. Have you seen his... Probably. Talk more about that. So his idea is a luxury belief is an idea or opinion that confers status on the upper class while often inflicting costs on the lower class. So things like defund the police. The people that are yelling defund the police are generally middle class white people who live in relatively safe neighborhoods. The people who are saying, no, no, we need police are generally lower class that live in less safe neighborhoods. The idea of marriage. If you look, most upper, upper class people remain married. Whereas when you start getting into lower classes, that's when we start getting into the single families. And that's when we start having problems associated with being in single families and you know, not having a two-parent household. But the upper class can say marriage doesn't matter. Well, because we're all in our marriages. So it's this idea that we have these luxury beliefs that we can we can hold out as a a virtue signaling because they don't really affect us anyway. Yeah, I I think that that's that describes it really well. You know, you said um, that you were against gay marriage. Do you think you would ever get married yourself? Mm, yeah. I, I was against gay marriage when that was the issue on the table. Once it passed, I was like, okay, the people have spoken. We have gay marriage. That's fine. I still will fight if fight. I will still push back if people try to come after religious organizations and say, you have to recognize gay marriage. I think that's completely inappropriate. Um, I think, but would I ever get married? I won't say never. But I'm old enough now that I've lived alone long enough that 
yeah, it'd be nice to have someone, but it's just not that important to me. Well, and you can also have a partner without being married, of course. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting when you said, you, if you look on Twitter and somebody has pronouns in their bio, you can usually anticipate that they're going to be crazy. And I tend to agree with you. But what's weird about living in Portland is I know a fair amount of people that I would consider at least somewhat rational probably 90% rational, functional adults, many of whom are in the legal community who I think are smart and I really respect, particularly intellectually, who have pronouns in their bios. I think we're seeing two things. So let me go back to Twitter. So let me, the way I put it on Twitter is not everyone who has pronouns in their bio is going to say something stupid. But more often than not, when I see someone say something stupid, they have pronouns in their bio. So Yeah, I've, I've also found that correlation. But I think what's happening, a lot of law firms, for example, are saying, as part of our DEI initiatives, you need to put pronouns in your bio. So people are putting pronouns in their bio because their employer is requiring them to. Now, or a board that they sit or on. Or a board they sit on. Or, because we, we're, you know, we want to show that we're inclusive. And I think, okay, well, if I don't buy into that, then you are quite, I mean, Forcing me to put pronouns in my bio does not make me an ally of anyone. If anything, it actually makes me a little more resentful of the fact that you're making me put pronouns in my bio, which I don't think should be there. It's, it's almost a compelled speech. I think part of it, too, is to the extent they're not being asked to put pronouns in their bio. I think it's another, it's a signal of allyship, right? It's, it's virtue signaling. There are times when I love seeing pronouns and bios. If I get an email oh, from no, someone that says, Kel- that says Kelly, and I'm yes. like, ah. Yes, if you have a gender-neutral name or if you're non-binary in the traditional sense, like at first glance, no one could categorize you in, in either sex, and that is your identity and how you're projecting yourself and more power to you if you're doing that. Um a million percent pronouns are helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Someone like the name Mark. It's pretty clearly a male who, name. Who looks, looks I'm, like I'm looking a, at you and you're very phenotypically male yeah. and you have a male voice and you present as male. So may, might be overkill. Yeah. It just seems strange to me that, but I, I think you're right. I think it becomes a way to signal that, you're an ally. When you say that you're for small government, what about the ways in which government has protected gay people, protected them in the workplace, protected them um, in regard to, like, Matthew Shepard, like, when you're targeted because you're gay and it's deemed a hate crime, what do you think of government intervention or laws that provide protection to to gay people and i think many if not most rational people would say we're a million percent behind that because the only reason it's so accepted in society today and certainly i at least in the city of portland celebrated to be gay in part is because these protections were in place and Treating gay people like garbage was no longer acceptable. We live in a, we live in a society. Society has to have rules. I have no problem with the idea that we that we need rules. 
and having rules that protect certain people, I think is fine. Where my thing in big government comes is I just think that we have way too many government social programs that, or even departments that really aren't doing what they were intended to do, but we can never get rid of them. They just keep growing and growing and growing and growing. Like what in particular? Um, like the Department of Defense is way bigger than I think it needs to be, which as a conservative, that's a little bit backwards, but I think we're spending way too much on getting involved in, in overseas wars. Uh, we would take that money to do something else with it. Um, I think the Energy Department... Uh, I think that's the one that if you look at what its original charter is, what was, we've moved so far from that. Um, almost any social program, look up, look up what's happening in Portland with the homeless. We create these social programs so that we can throw money at them, but the problem's not getting any better. It's, it's almost like we have to create programs so that we can show we care, and as long as we are throwing money at it, then we can say we care. Well... That's almost, it's almost like we don't want the problem to go away because if the problem goes away, then we can no longer throw money at it to show we care. It's, it seems a little backwards to me. And, and you described yourself as kind of a Reagan Republican. I think a lot of people listening might go, why is this gay guy describing himself as a Reagan Republican? Reagan was horrible to the gay community. Reagan ignored AIDS. Um, he like refused, in fact, to to acknowledge it, even though he had a dear friend, Rock Hudson, who was dying of AIDS. Yes. So when I say Reagan, I just mean more of the time. I don't think Reagan did everything perfectly. Um, there were problems with the administration. We were at a different time. Um, you know, we could talk about Obama. When Obama came out, well, he for, was against gay marriage. He was completely against Everybody gay marriage. Everybody forgets that. Everybody's memory hold that. Hillary, Hillary Clinton, Clinton was against gay I marriage. Know. And suddenly they come out and <laughs> I'm evolving on my. It wasn't that long ago. No, and the interesting thing that happened that was I think it was the time when he was running against Romney. And Romney came out and he had been for it and then against it, and then against, or uh, for it, against it, and then for it, and then against it. And people said, oh, he's flip flopping. And Obama changed his mind. It was like, oh, he's evolving. I was like, no, he's flip-flopping. It's become politically... He's watching the polls. Yeah. It's become... It is no longer a political dart to be for gay marriage. And so he'll go ahead and say, I'm for gay marriage. When you say that you're pro-states rights, I can hear people thinking, well, you know, abortion is front and center right now with this leaked Supreme Court opinion and if we we have got to not be for states rights in in regard to certain policies particularly policies like abortion because if you leave it to the states it will only abortion will only be available in blue states and women in red states, many of whom are poor and don't have, to the extent they have access to contraception, they might live in a small town where the pastor also runs the drugstore. And, you know, there certainly is not a Planned Parenthood on every block. Um, so it's bad policy to relegate issues like that to the states. What, what do you say to, to that argument? I think that part of the reason I am more 
states is for two reasons. Number one, because that's how the republic was set up, that we enumerated certain powers that we that were reserved for the federal government and everything else is to the states. Um, and I, I think that's where my uh, belief sort of resides. Uh, but when you get to specific arguments like this, I, I get it. There's going to be some states that deal with problems or issues better than other states do. But that's kind of the whole purpose of this, isn't it? That we're going to have different states that are going to do different things and we're going to find out what works um, by having all these different trials. I mean, you know, the argument that, well, someone who lives in a small town community isn't going to have access to abortion, chances are they don't have access to abortion now. If they're really in a small community, they have to travel anyway. Well, probably not. I mean, it's been rolled back so much. Um, I guess maybe the argument would be instead of continuing to roll it back, we should, government should bring those protections back. The federal government, if they had enough votes in Congress, should certainly pass a law that makes it unlawful to cut back on abortion restrictions, I guess would be their argument. And and if the, I mean, like I said earlier, um, gay marriage. I wasn't for it. It passed. I'm fine with that. That's the way our process works. If the government, if the Congress wants to pass a law that uh, regulates abortion in the 50 states, then that's their job. Um, you know. But wouldn't that conflict with your state's rights philosophy? Yeah, but that's still the way the government works. I mean, I do believe it should say, but I think that it conflicts in that the federal government is doing something, but I would hope that what happens is the states have tried different things and the federal government looks at it and says, hey, this state really got it right. We're going to do that on a national basis rather than just jumping in a, on a, at a national basis right away. And, and going back to abortion, my issue on abortion is is interesting in that I don't think abortion should be outlawed. Even though I am against abortion being used as a contraception method, I don't think it should be outlawed because, as I said, people who've had their choices taken away from them should have available to them a wide range of rights, which includes abortion. The problem we run into is how do you make it available for some and not others? And that's where I look back and I think, okay, as a society, if we've gotten to the place as a society where we're going to say, well, it's okay, you can get pregnant because you can just get aborted later, that's where I look and think, okay, how do we get there as a society where we weren't looking at sex and procreation as something that's more than just a sack of cells that you can get rid of if you want to? Well, and I think the argument, the counter argument to that would be, okay, but that woman very likely didn't have access to contraception. So the, to the extent she's using abortion as contraception, that's because she had no access to it. And again, I think we should have wider access to, con- to contraceptions. I think there should be bigger punishments for men who are in, you know, getting people pregnant and not doing it with it. I just saw something on Twitter the other day of some guy who has 33 kids. I was thinking, keep it in your pants. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, as a gay man, I have a little bit, you know, I don't have this problem. People, right, I'm, people right, I'm having right. sex with are not, not getting pregnant. You're not <laughs> impregnating anybody. Yeah. Um, you were talking about how you don't want government in the bedroom. Yeah, I think anything that consenting adults do behind closed doors, I don't think the government really has much room to regulate that. Now, if it's non-consensual or if it leads to other behaviors that could be non-consensual, then then yes, I think we can regulate it outside the bedroom. But 
I don't care what people do in their bedroom. I don't care if they're male. I don't care if they're female. I don't care if there's three. I don't care if there's six. You know, whatever you want to do in your own home, I, I don't have a problem with that. So maybe is it possible um, that you might be against laws that limit abortion? Because to some extent that involves uh, reproductive, that, that's certainly within a bedroom-like. It's be- certainly bedroom-adjacent and involves reproductive rights. Is that possible? Uh, or do you see that as separate? I, I see it as separate because I still believe that once, I mean, I, and this, I realize this is the heart of the uh, abortion debate, and uh, Barry Wise did a really good podcast to with Caitlin Flanagan. I believe it. It was fabulous. It just, you know, outlines the two sides. And I come down on the side of when you look at the pictures of what's taking place in the womb, I don't know how you can say that is just a sack of cells. And so at some point, that life has value, and I believe the government should be protecting that life. So that's where I come down. So early abortions, I think I'm less, they bother me less. But I also realize that if you get to the third trimester, most of these cases, that's a woman who has wanted to get pregnant or at least has resigned herself to the fact that she is pregnant and she wants to carry it full term. I can't imagine making that decision to abort a baby that late. And not only because I'm not, not only because I'm male, but just because I don't ever want to be in that position. I don't want to tell her what she can do. That's between her and her doctor. What about the Obergefell decision that held that there was a fundamental right to marry, the the so-called gay marriage decision? I mean, do you feel like, is it possible that, that outlawing gay marriage is government improperly being in the bedroom and that in the same way as Lawrence v. Texas, the Obergefell decision was the government stepping in and saying, you limiting their own powers and saying, actually, this is not something that we should be regulating. I guess the question I have there is, what is the right? Is the right to be married or is the right to receive tax benefits and or other benefits have from a legally having a legal recognized partnership? What What is the right? And I've always viewed the right as if the government's going to provide rights for people who are legally partnered, then... No, we can't stop people from being legally partnered within reason. I think we're already seeing people as well. If two can get married, why not three? And it's like, well, okay, you know, there's got to be some lines there. But it was the marriage issue for me, mostly just trying to divide that line to say, okay, look, religious organizations, we're going to give you this. Yes, you can keep the word marriage, and that can be your 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 sanctity, your holy matrimony, if you will. Anyone else, it's a partnership. What is it like being a gay conservative in Portland? Um, lonely. <laughs> is it lonely? Lo- 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 it, most, I, I think most of my friends know that I'm conservative. Um, so not all do? No. So do you feel like you can't be authentic around those friends then? that don't know that you're conservative? Most of the time, what we're doing doesn't matter. I mean, we're not talking politics, um, so it doesn't really matter. I, 
before I came in today, I was thinking, I cannot think of a single person that I'm no longer friends with because I came out as gay. I can think of people that I'm no longer friends with because they found out that I was conservative. What was that like? I mean, take, walk us through through that. I don't, you know, they didn't come. They didn't come out and say, "I can't be your friend because you're conservative." Although, if you look on Grinder and Tinder and some of these apps, it says flat out, "No Republicans, no Trump voters, no." Oh, really? You know, we got past the no fats, no femmes, no Asians, no blacks. But you know, even in Pride Month, here we are celebrate diversity. But diversity only means diversity as far as we mean diversity. We don't mean any. We don't mean thought diversity. But, you know, I look at those and I think, well, okay, if you have that mindset, again, going back to the idea of being offended, I could choose to be offended that you don't want to talk to a Republican, or I can choose to realize that you're small-minded and you're probably not someone I want to be involved with anyway. So I'm not going to be offended by that. They almost end up self-selecting out of your life in that sense. Yeah, and I think in the gay community... Isn't that painful? Well, I think in the gay community there's some, some... Assumed self-selection. The gay community, you assume that everyone is going to be liberal and everyone's going to vote Democrat. Um, And those of us who don't, I just don't say anything. It's not worth it for the most part. I'm not going to convince them. So. But maybe it would be helpful to identify your political beliefs just to... And I'm not, I'm not advocating that you do this at all, but I wonder, I just wonder if you were, were comfortable with it and you identified your political beliefs, if that in the same way that, that your friend in law school had assumptions about gay people until he really became friends with you, maybe you could open their minds a bit as to the idea that gay people are not monoliths and uh, is it homophobic to assume or to maybe even be angry about the fact that you're not progressive because doesn't that stereotype you i mean yeah it stereotypes but is it homophobic i don't it's certainly, stere- maybe not homophobic, it's certainly stereotypical. Serious, yeah, it's certainly applying a stereotype. It's certainly showing a prejudice a or a bias. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is where, again, going back to, you know, the idea of a prejudice and a bias and being racist and uh, those all have specific meanings. So the fact that, I mean, they're applying a stereotype to me and they're showing their bias towards me. Does that mean they're homophobic? I, no, I don't think so. Um and I think you're right. I think there are times when if I get to know someone, and most of my friends who know I'm conservative, we're still friends, they know I'm conservative because they got to know me as a person first and realized that, you know, we have a lot of other things in common. So the fact that we may not vote the same ticket isn't an issue. Whereas if I were to walk into a group of gay guys wearing a big Republican flag, I can guarantee it would go over well. That's just not the thing I need them to know first about me. Why do you think it is that gay people are expected to be progressive? I think it's... I think because the progressive side has always been viewed as being more pro-gay rights, I think rightly so, 
that people, you know, the idea of you can't vote against someone who doesn't have your best interest at heart. Um, we see that every time, every time an election comes up, gays will post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, if you're voting for a Republican, you can't be my friend because you're voting against my interest. And I just think, okay, well, but lots of people have lots of different interests. We're not all voting on just one issue. But I think people assume that because the progressives have been more progressive on gay issues, that all gays must agree with them. And I just, yes, gay issues are an issue to me, but the reality is I can live my life on a day-to-day basis being gay, um, and it doesn't, doesn't affect me. I'm who I am. I think we're getting to that point with even more effeminate gays, even trans people. I mean, trans people have all the rights we've talked about. They've been written into the anti-discrimination laws. So I'm not really sure what rights it is that we're fighting for at this point. They have them. Um, I think it's society needs to get more comfortable with the idea that just because someone presents and looks like a woman doesn't mean they might not have a deep voice or have facial hair. Do you ever feel any cognitive dissonance being a gay man who identifies as as conservative and is, are you a Republican? No. I'm actually registered Democrat for the very first time in my life. Well, you kind of have to be here because otherwise you don't get a say. Exactly. I did it trying to. I did it so I could. I did it so I could vote for Tobias Reed, hoping that Tina Kotek wouldn't win. I voted for Tobias too. Yeah. And then he just came out for Tina. I've been independent since probably ninety. Well, at least since ninety-seven. I think when I moved to Oregon, I registered as an independent. So have have you ever voted for a Republican? Oh yeah. And when you did, did you feel any sense of cognitive dissonance aligning yourself with the party of people like Mike Pence who fought, you know, workplace discrimination against gays and ending don't ask, don't tell, et cetera? No, because those weren't the issues that mattered the most to me. Things like the economy or other issues mattered mattered more. And, and I realized part of this comes from a place of what I'll call privilege in that I present as male, I, you know, I, no one's going to look at me and think necessarily that he's gay. So I can, to a certain extent, ignore that part of me in my day-to-day life. But the reality is that most of these laws don't affect me on a day-to-day basis. Well, and I think, although there are certainly outliers, is it your understanding that more and more people who identify as Republican or GOP oriented are actually for gay rights and are not against protecting gay people? I think there has been a shift. Uh, if you look at the, at, at Republicans, I mean, I mean, there, there has to be, or else they won't keep getting elected because, yeah. because public, certainly public perception has shifted. I mean, even the Mormon church is changing its standards at, at, you know, I have a gay nephew at BYU, openly gay. I mean, that never could have happened, I think maybe even five years ago. So certainly I think people are who used to be 
considered homophobic or considered anti-gay or or considered being um, just not interested in allowing gays, for instance, on their campus as um, publicly identifying as gay, I, I think they're kind of looking around and realizing that the American people are not in that. Sp- they have moved on from that space and they fully support gay rights and gay people. Now, they might not support Leah Thomas, but I think that that whole issue is completely different. I'm just talking about, I mean, I think my understanding is gay marriage is overwhelmingly popular. That's my understanding, too. Um, And going back to my own coming out story, you know, my family was not supportive. Um, We had a we had a strained relationship for quite a while. We had that six months. We didn't talk to each other. And then we we've talked to each other. But I I have never made my sexuality an issue with my family, partially because I didn't want to be estranged from my family. I hate when I hear people say that they kick their gay kid out of the house. That drives me nuts. And I don't think it's any better for gay kids to uh, tie to cut ties with their parents. Our families are our families, and they're always going to be our families. Um, so we've had a strained relationship, but I've managed to maintain my relationship. I have a great relationship with all of my nieces and nephews, my brothers. I have one who still says I'm going to hell, but we still talk. Um, we still at family functions. And just two years ago, three years ago, two years ago, um, when I was with my parents, my parents sat me down. And I was like, oh, where's this going? And they said, we are so sorry. We did not handle how you, we did not handle you coming out well. And we realize now that we were wrong. That must have meant so much to you. It meant a ton. That's so sweet. And it, I, it wouldn't have happened if I had cut my family off and refused to continue to, to ties with them. And I've seen a change in my parents over the years and how they look at gay issues. I think they probably feel along the lines with me that they may not like gay marriage, but they're fine with it. It's the law of the land now, and hey, get married. Be happy. Do you do you think if you got married, they'd come to your wedding? Um, I actually asked my mom, and she said something to the effect of, I'm closer to death than you are marriage. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I don't think they think I'll ever get married. Are you laughing because it's funny or are you laughing out of pain or <laughs> I'm both? La- I'm laughing because it's funny. Okay. <laughs> because my parents know me well enough to know that I will probably never so get she's married. she's teasing you about the fact that you're you're yeah. not married and at, at this age, she would have expected you to be. She would have expected me to be married and she's, she tells me, she said, you're so set in your ways. You'll never even live with someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think they probably would come. Do you think your brother, who thinks you're going to hell, would come? No. Isn't that hurtful? Why should I let it hurt me? Why should I be concerned? Why should I let his small-mindedness control my feelings? Well, I don't think you should at all, but... I think most people would be hurt by that. What What do you think it is guess, about you that enables you to look past that? Um, I think a lot of it is just past experience. Yeah. I, I mean. Knowing that he, you mean like, you know, he's a good person. You know that he loves you and you grew up around a lot of people who were not accepting of gay people, but they weren't, they weren't the devil. Like they weren't. 
shitty people. Yeah. I And would I be disappointed he didn't come? Yes. Would I be hurt? I guess, you know, is there a difference? To me, there's a, there's a difference. I mean, sure, I would love to have him there as my family, but it's, you know, I'm not going to be hurt. That's his choice. Um, I just look at, and I think I've had enough experiences in my life to know that different people get, have different things that are important to them and it doesn't make them a bad person. Is there a particular reason that you don't align? Have you ever aligned with a one particular political party? Oh, I think I was probably registered Republican up through... Well, I may have been registered Republican when I moved here in 97, only because I'd never changed it. But I don't really think I voted Republican after... I don't know. I don't, I don't remember who was running or when. So you would you say that you've really always been sort of a true independent, never politically homeless, if you will, never aligning with the Democrats or the Republicans in particular? I think when I was younger, when I first was voting, I would probably have voted Republican just because that's what I knew, that's what I grew up with. But I think once I moved away to college, I became more independent and realized that, you know... I really don't want to be, I don't, I don't associate myself with either one, either one of those really. So you were never like a log cabin Republican? No, I one had. Of the gay Republicans? No, I had considered it, but I. Because you I, might, you know, you might, even if you didn't identify as one, I think they're still around and you might find like-minded gay conservatives there, which is hard, I think would be hard to find in Portland. There are, they are still around. I actually think they have a chapter in Portland, but. I view it as sort of the same issue. If I go and align myself with the Republican Party, then people are going to automatically assume that I am approving of things that the Republican Party is doing that I don't necessarily approve of. Tell, talk, and, say more about that. What do you not approve of that the Republicans are doing? Well, right now, uh, just about everything. I mean, the biggest example I can think of recently is it drove me nuts when they denied Obama his um, Supreme Court pick and then pushed through Amy Conan Barrett at the end. I mean, yeah, to Mitch me, McConnell's baby. I can, sure, I can see the I words mean, you're using. It was yeah. wily, and it was. It's yeah. hard for to blame them politically, but uh, I, I certainly agree with you. I would never. Yeah, and I can I, see. I would find it difficult aligning with them because that was so slimy. I can see the words you're using to say they're different, but they're really not different. I mean, they really weren't different. There was no reason that you shouldn't let Obama get his pick. I mean, there's just there just wasn't. Or if you didn't, then you shouldn't have let. Uh, Trump get his last pick either. I mean, things like that, political games. And, and I think that's a lot of it because realistically, what is our Congress doing policy-wise? They're fighting a lot, not but a hell of they're a not lot. getting much done. Everybody hates Congress. It's all just fighting. And that's just, I just think, okay, well, okay, I'm not going to align myself with either one of you. You're all being little babies. And I don't, I don't, I'd rather be in the middle. Did you vote for Biden? No. Who, who did you vote for in the last presidential election, if you're comfortable saying? Uh, third party. Oh, who was... I don't even know who that was. Who was that? Um, I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. But you just didn't... You didn't want to vote for either. I didn't want to vote for Biden. Because you don't even remember who you voted for. So it was... Was it more of a... It was a protest vote. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. And, and I could do that in Oregon, because I knew there was no chance that... That's exactly Anyone right. other than Biden was going to win. That's exactly right. But I thought it was important for when the numbers were tallied to see that there was a large 
part of the United States that wasn't voting for either party. Um, now, it didn't turn out to be as big as I had hoped it would be. But, I, you know, I think we're going to see it's going to be interesting with the governor's race. I have heard lots of people say that they will vote Republican if it means not voting for Tina Kotek. I've heard lots of Democrats say that. I've heard it. But I, I don't know that they will. I think the reality, yeah, I think the reality is when you get in that box, well, we don't have boxes here, but when you go to that ballot, we are so tribalized right now that people won't be able to pull the lever and they're just going to vote their party. And that worries me because I don't think we're going to ever see change if everyone's just voting because there's a D or an R after their name. Do you, what do you think about the Betsy Johnson category? Do you think... It was good for her to register as an independent and break away from the Democrats. I think it's probably the only chance that she had to win against Tina. Um, I don't think she would have won running as a Democrat. I am concerned that more... I'm concerned that the Republican side, if you will, the Republican side is going to split the vote. And Tina's going to be elected. Yeah, and I don't think there's enough people in Oregon. I think a lot of the people, a lot of the Democrats who don't like Tina would be willing to vote independent, but would have a hard time voting Republican. I think that's 100% true, just on and I don't see Dre, grounds. Yeah, and I don't see Drazen as being that conservative of a, of a Republican either. Well, she's relatively moderate as far as Republicans go. One of her biggest criticisms from people on the right is that she's not strong enough pro-life. And she says she's pro-life on her webpage, but when asked direct questions about abortion, she doesn't answer them. I mean, I think my guess is she's probably going to leave that piece of Oregon alone. I mean, she, she won't be able to she won't even if she wins she's not going to capture congress said the republicans aren't i don't right. think so even if she wins i think the this fact that oregon doesn't have a single restriction on abortion will just i don't think that'll be affected do you no i i, I mean that's sort of our legislature in oregon i think is going to stay with the democrat party and so even if we get a Republican governor, I think her ability to do a lot of policy shifts are going to be severely limited, which quite honestly, again, going back to my ideas of change, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I don't want someone who's going to come in and try to turn the state completely around. No, I I agree. The nice thing about a purple system, some Democrat power and some Republican power is I think it leads to good ideas because it really means that your ideas have to be fleshed out in a rather rigorous way that they otherwise wouldn't be when people are just adhering to tribalism. Yeah, and I think in Oregon we're still doing some of that. And I think one of the things that helps us is that we have a uh, single subject bill system. So they can go in and they can argue about, they're only arguing about one thing, unlike the federal system where you can have all this stuff thrown into it, so you never know exactly what you're arguing about. Um, I think we still see some compromise happening in the Oregon legislature, not as much as I would like to see, and I think we see less and less as 
the either party, the Democrats in this case, get a bigger and bigger majority. Do you think this interest in more of a purple system is part of the reason that so many people who identify as Democrat are leaving fringe left cities like Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, and going to places like Idaho, Arizona, Texas, et cetera? I think it could be. I think the other thing that's happening is that we are starting to see a real split on both the left and the right, but I think it's more prevalent on the left as far as what your extreme left is. Oh, you mean within the parties themselves? Within Within the parties themselves. Democrat and the Republican parties themselves are having schisms. Yeah, and I think in the Democrat party, you're seeing people who look at the trans issue and are just like, I'm not comfortable with this, and and so they don't want to go all the way, but there's really no place else for them to go right now, so they're still left with the D, you know, yeah, pulling the, pulling the lever for the D. But I think we are starting to see more and more of a split. Um, Do you think the split in the Republicans is like the Marjorie Taylor Greens versus the, the Mitt Romney, say, or the Liz Cheney's? I think so, and I think at least, I think there are more people willing to speak out against the Marjorie Taylor Greens then there are people on the left willing to speak out about the fringe left. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, Biden said in his State of the Union that we should fund police, but I don't think anybody really heard that. I mean, and he certainly doesn't repeat it. Um, no, I think... I think if you asked... The average person on the street today, do you think Biden is for defunding the police? They'd say, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think you mentioned on one of your previous podcasts the um, coddling of the American mind. Um, But I think some of what we're seeing, and I think you followed what's happening at Yale Law School with with, shouting people down. It's gotten to the point where the the far left is so vocal that people are not willing to engage or shout them, shout them more. You know. Well, they're just too loud. They're too loud. They're sh- and, they're sh- and, and they're obnoxious and nobody wants to spar with them because they don't want to be canceled and they don't want to be called racist. Yeah. And I think on the far right, people look at them thinking you're just stupid and we're just not even going to engage with you and that we don't, they don't get the engagement that the far left does. Um, and I think that's a problem. And I think, like, you know, the fact I'm doing this anonymously, the fact you have this podcast, I think there are more and more more people out there who really look at things and say, that's not what I signed up for. But they're afraid to stand up and say, no. And in the gay community, for example, I think I know of gays who are not really on board with this whole idea of this transgender movement and the fact that if you refuse to date a trans man that you're somehow transphobic, but they're afraid to stand up and say no because I guess because the the sense of well the gays got what they want so and the trans people were there for us so I guess we should be for them too. I don't know what I don't know what's happening, but it it it's strange. Yeah, that's it, isn't it crazy that you're. I, I think it's crazy anyway that you, you Mark, would now be seen. You're gay. Look at what you've had to go through. 
and overcome to be an out gay man, especially given your background. And that wasn't that, you're not that old. Like I'm looking at you, you don't have a head full of gray hair. This wasn't that long ago. And the amount of progress that we've had since when you were younger has just been amazing and astounding and just very quick. But isn't it amazing that after all of that and what you fought for, what you struggled for. Yeah, I'm transphobic because I don't want to date someone. With a vagina. vagina. Or with a modified vagina. Someone who at one time was a cis woman. I, I mean, you fought to date people, cis men. You fought to date people born with penises. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's crass, but I like penises. Really? I like you mine, I like really other hard. people's. I, it's like, <laughs> I, that's what I like. I mean, it's not, uh, to be told that I and am now, somehow... now you're suddenly being told that that's not acceptable either. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I think the reality is for a lot of gay men, would they experiment? Probably. I mean, some probably never would. Some might. Um, but when it comes right down to it. Anecdotally, in your experience, and I'm not, I don't want to talk about gay people as a monolith, but like just anecdotally, is your experience as a gay man in Portland, is it okay to say that you don't want to date a trans man? Is that okay to say? In your private circles? Yes. Publicly, I'm. I don't. It's hard because also over the last two years, I've sort of lost contact with a lot of the gay community because there wasn't a lot going on. I think it'll be interesting because of COVID. Because of COVID, and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, this month with gay pride, pride month, yeah. pride month and mm-hmm. what happens, but mm-hmm. see where where people are coming out vocally. But I, we know people we, People who come out are going to be the vocal ones. Um, but in my own group of friends, I have had, you know, people have said, no, I don't want to date a trans man. But you don't think that they would feel comfortable saying that publicly? If they did say it publicly, like, what do you, what would, what is likely to happen, do you think? Just, and I know we're just like reading the tea leaves here, but just what do you think? I think they'd be labeled transphobic. I mean, we're seeing. That. I do too. I, I, we, that's I do what we're too. seeing. And, I, and I, I think they'd be canceled on Twitter. And I think we have to be a little bit careful because, just like we've talked about today, not you know all Republicans are monolithic. Yeah, we don't want to group everybody together. But we're seeing it, and just because we see it on Twitter, Twitter is a, a little bit of a sub-selection. Twitter is absolutely an anomaly because it's everybody on the fringe right or the fringe left and it's people who live their life online and you know fortunately most normal people don't yes and it's a lot of the media people so they pick up they pick up their stories off of what's going on on twitter which is the twin the, the fringe so then you look at the news and you think oh my gosh look at all this crazy stuff going on in the world it's like uh where that's so insightful. That's you're exactly right. I mean, that's where they're getting their news stories. And so I think to the extent people talk about the silent majority, it's really just the rest of us that don't exist online on Twitter all day trying to create characters of the day. Yeah. 
which is most of us. Most of us. And even, even me who spends time on Twitter, but I don't post a lot. I have two accounts, one that has all the news sources, and that's where I go get my news. And then I have one Your that I... news about what's going on on Twitter. About what's going on on Twitter, basically, yes. But, you know, I go over and see what the news stories are, and then I go over to Twitter and see what people are saying about them. What crazy people are saying, yeah. And following the news has become difficult. I can't... I mean, rarely do I see a news story and think that I've gotten the real story. I start going and seeing what people on both sides are saying about it, and then I end up... The most, the best example I can think of, and I can't remember which, which situation it was, but there was one of these uh, mass shooting situations where they had a manifesto from the guy. And the, this was a couple years ago. And the liberals were saying the manifesto said one thing, and the conservatives were saying it said something completely different. They were completely spinning it. And I tried to find a copy of the manifesto, and CNN had basically said, we're not going to post it because it's too triggering, which that's a whole other issue. Um, I finally found it off of like the blaze or one of those far right ones. And when I read it, I thought this guy is just a straight nut job. There is plenty of fodder here for anyone who wants it. So each side was going through and just choosing exactly what fit their narrative. And I'm like, ugh, none of it was really, none of it was false, but none of it was really the truth either. Yeah, it's so interesting to me how they always, and they're doing this now in Texas, they always try to use, the media always tries to use those mass shooters as somehow representing or fulfilling their biases, like on either side, when really these are just psychopaths that make no sense. They don't make sense. I mean, they wouldn't be gunning down mass amounts of people if they made sense. Yeah, they're, they're... There is something wrong upstairs for them to do what they're doing. So let's not look at their proclamations like right. they're the word from God. I mean, right. Come on. So, Mark, why are you anonymous? Like, if you were here and you said your first and last name today, um, what do you, what are you worried could happen? And I'm, you know, of course, I'm asking this as somebody who was anonymous for so long um, you know, better part of a year. So I, I absolutely, I think I know what you're going to say, but, um, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, so why is that? I think there's two reasons. The first reason is professionally. Um, I'm a lawyer and I want to be known as a lawyer and I want to be known for what I do for my clients. And, what I do outside of that, I don't think is I don't think is relevant. Um, secondly, is personally, the gay community in Portland is small enough that I don't want to even feel like I've been ostracized from it. And I think feeling ostracized, feeling that you're ostracized, isn't always the truth. But I think that I, you know, that 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 is would be an easy impression to take away. My life, for better or worse, has always been somewhat siloed. I've had my professional career, I've had my personal, sorry, I've had my personal life, um, and then I've had my family life, and they've sort of always been separated. And maybe I'm used to it. Well, it sounds like that works for you. My professional life is my professional life. I don't have a lot of lawyer friends that I hang out with on the weekends. No one hangs out on the weekends anymore. 
my social group is primarily gay, and then my family group is my family group. When you say no one hangs out on the weekends anymore, do you mean that's because they they're too um, everybody sort of locked themselves inside ostensibly because of COVID, and maybe now they're just used to it? I think so. I think we're seeing. I see less. I see fewer of my friends hanging out and doing things on the weekends than they used to. Some of them I know are still concerned about COVID. Um, some of them just had their bubble of people that they associated with like their pod or their, whatever their pod, and they've just continued to associate with them. Um, I think there's lots of reasons around it, but I think over the last two years, our social habits have changed and we're not out of it yet. So when you, we first spoke on the phone, you said something that I thought was funny. You said, um, I'm, I think it's strange that you consider yourself a liberal or that you still identify as a liberal. Tell me more about that. Well, I think partially because of Twitter, but I find myself falling into the same trap that other people do in believing that everyone who identifies as one way believes everything that the far right believes. When you say partially because of Twitter, do you mean because... If I were really a liberal, I'd have pronouns in my bio. I'd have a photo of myself with a mask on. And I'd be retweeting AOC every five minutes. Yeah, not necessarily you on, but yes, those a things. A liberal but would be doing a that. A liberal would be doing those. But some of the things you say on Twitter are not consistent, are not consistent with, with what I see the progressive. liberals, progressive yeah. saying. Yeah. But as we talked about previously, too. Like I, opening schools, yeah, for instance. Yeah. People who I all I have always thought of as liberal, uh, Andrew Sullivan, Barry Weiss, some of these people are now no longer considered liberals. They're considered oh, wow. conservatives. Yeah, I think a lot of people, certainly in Portland, would call them right wingers, and you know you see this playing out with Rene Gonzalez. Um, he's been labeled a Republican. In fact, there's like this whole oppo website about him and about what a Republican he is because it, because the word Republican, I mean, Oregon is a city state. It's just a fact. Portland drives statewide elections and the word Republican is an epithet. And, uh, if, if the, if the fringe left who we'll see in this next election, but I think is perceived as running Portland, if they call Renee a Republican, then people won't vote for him. Right. Or if they even call him moderate or right-wing leaning or right-leaning. Or even, I mean, I think centrist is a dirty word. Yeah. And I think we, we need to be careful because, like, I had an experience that, that I was telling you that we were putting together a committee, and one of the people on committee on the committee said something about, you know, we need to address white supremacy and make sure that we are using, you know, DEI. And I thought... I had to gear myself up to have a conversation with them, figuring I was going to be meeting with this right-wing nut job who was just completely bought into the whole thing and had a phone conversation, and we had a perfectly fine phone conversation. She was not near as far right on those issues or far left on those issues as I thought she was, but I see those words, and I just think... Oh, you said right-wing nut job, but you were thinking left-wing nut job. Left-wing nut job, sorry. Yeah, yeah. She was not near as left on those issues as I thought she was going to be. And we had a 
a very good conversation about when it's appropriate to take race into account in, a, in the process. And, and I was just preparing myself for this brick wall of, you know, you have to consider race first. And I, that, that wasn't what it was at all. So I think we've taken these issues that have, are, that again, Twitter is seen and getting blown out and getting put into the mainstream media and getting uh, amplified. And we assume, okay, if you're on the left, you must believe all of those things. And I'm finding, no, in fact, most of my friends on the left aren't believing most of those things. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And I, I'm guilty of it. I mean, I totally fall into that trap. I think because our society is so polarizing and because I use Twitter as a tool to promote the podcast, which is a problem because I, I actually think Twitter is toxic and I, I think it, it makes you think in black and white ways that are unproductive. And I think any productive conversation cannot be absolutely not be had on Twitter. So when people say things like, why is Renee Gonzalez's, Twitter closed. Well, it's closed because he doesn't believe that you can have good policy discussions on Twitter. I mean, if you want to have a policy discussion, he will speak to you directly or email you or he will talk to you on the phone. And I agree with that. I, I, um, it's, it's a problem because nobody reads blogs anymore. Um, it seems like only us again, super online people and, and older, much older folks are on Facebook and I find Facebook toxic in the same kinds of ways. Um, I deleted it during the pandemic. I deleted it too. And I wish I could delete Twitter. I wish there was a better medium for promoting media. Um, And I just, I, if anybody has any ideas, I would love to get off Twitter. I think it's hard because we have become um, a meme culture and everything we do is in short little bites whether it's Twitter, which is 240 characters, or we have to keep, we have to come up with a slogan that's going to, you know, explain our movement. But none of these things do. Defund, I mean, when the defund the police thing came out, and I thought defund the police, no. And then people said, well, no, defund the police isn't really what we mean. It wasn't that funny. It was like the worst marketing ever. And then it's like, well, you should, you should know what we mean. And I'm thinking, okay, so how does that play out for me as an attorney? I write a brief for a court and say, here's my brief. And the judge makes a ruling. Says, well, no, 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 that wasn't what I meant. You should have known what I meant. I think we've lost the ability to explain things because we live off of black lives matter or pro-life or pro-choice. Hashtags. Or, yeah. Um, and it's, we, we don't know necessarily what these mean. And I find myself because I have a small phone still. I don't like to scroll more than... You do have a small phone. I don't like to scroll more than two or three pages on an article. If there's a really long article, I still find myself... Isn't that kind of sad? Printing it out to read it. Yes. Okay, well, you do print it out. Well, that's good. Yeah, my husband gets all... Still gets magazines because he just... He refuses to read anything online. And I've started noticing that, too. My attention span is altered. I I need to fix it. I mean, I've got to find a way to fix that because I, I find myself doing the same thing. I find myself, I want to reduce the amount of clutter I have around and the amount of paper and whatever. So I don't tend to collect magazines or on my desk or, or, or print things out, but I should do that. I should start doing that because the problem is I, my reading is shallow and that's not how I want to consume 
news or, or media in general, I don't want to consume it in a shallow way. And I don't want to consume it via a, a, a Twitter feed, like you said, in tiny characters, t- t- tiny amounts of characters. It is not intellectually satisfying. Even my Twitter feed, I bookmark so many things. I do too. And think I'm going to go back and read them. them. I never go back to them. Just a couple days ago, knowing that we were going to be talking, I went back and looked at some of the things I'd bookmarked and thought, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I never read that. I never never got around reading that. Or I scrolled, I I went through two pages and then I got a phone call or then I got a text from somebody and then I abandoned it, you know. Yeah. The other thing I've done, which has worked out well, is I have a 10-day rule uh, when it comes to Twitter or anything really for that matters, like the shooting that happened in Texas. I give myself 10 days. I ignore what's happened. What's you, happening. You don't get on Twitter for 10 days. I, I ignore, I, I ignore stories about it. I mean, I can't completely ignore them, but I don't go read them after 10 days, which is coming up tomorrow, or the next day. Then I will go look because the thing I found is the stuff that comes out immediately is almost invariably wrong. Um, yeah. And after 10 days, if people are still talking about it, then it's worth me going and looking at it. If after 10 days, people move on to something else, then A, either it's not worth it, or B, if it is worth it and I go find stuff, I'll find out what's really happened, not the stuff that came out the first 24 or 48 hours. Well, and that also conserves time in your life, right? I mean, we only have so much time. We all, most sensible people know that what really matters in your life is not some tiny shallow analysis of something on Twitter. It's being with your friends, being with your family, being engaged in work that makes your life meaningful, engaging in activities that create meaning in your life. It's not a hot take on the latest news craze. And finding... Imagine all the hours you you saved that you were able to do more productive things with. And, and finding those nuggets or those summaries is getting harder and harder to do because the media tends to be so polarized as well. It's hard to go find yes, the news. Yes, there's no analysis either. Yeah, and to go find just what happened is getting really difficult to do. Um, like you said, it's almost like you have to read the goddamn Shooter's Manifesto. Yeah. Or nobody wants to do. Or you have to go read CNN and you have to go read Fox. And you have. And it's like, okay, okay, now the news is taking me twice as much time to be able to consume in order to be informed. Well, and all of that's garbage, too, because it's it doesn't... Analysis doesn't... Somebody said, I think it was Mike Marshall who was in here from Working Recovers. He said, analysis doesn't pay anything. What pays is, is quick sound bites. What pays is clicks. So you're not going to get, even if you're reading CNN and Fox and trying to compare it, you're not getting anything good to compare. Right. And and shallow and titles and a lot of people just read the title and think they know what the story is about. And titles are all for clickbait. So half the time the titles don't even fit or, you know, not fit well. That's true. Um. But there's no easy way to go get good summaries of what's really going on in the world. And I try to tell myself that's why I have the second Twitter account, which is just the news, you know, AP, Reuters, CNN. So when I'm scrolling through, all I'm seeing is what the news reports are, what the news, the media is reporting on. But again, like, how good is that? I mean, it sounds like you have a good idea for this, which is find the good ones that include analysis and print them out so that you actually end up spending time 
consuming something of substance that uh, that provides intellectual rigor. And it gets me away from my computer, away from my phone. I spend yeah. enough time on my phone and my computer as it is. So if I print something out and go read it, I'm at least away from my computer. Um, well, Mark, uh, anything else you want to talk about? I feel like you've said it all. As Howard Stern would say, you've done it all. <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's other there are other topics we could get into. I think the privilege thing is issue. The privilege thing is interesting. Um, just quickly. Yeah, say more about privilege. Uh, 2017, 2018, somewhere around there, I went and took a privilege quiz on BuzzFeed. Because, you know, <laughs> because the whole privilege thing Speaking was coming. Speaking of intellectual rigor. Yeah, but this whole thing was coming out about, you know, how privileged you are. And I thought, I wonder how privileged I would come. How, how it would show up. And I came out at 31%, which is really low. Why do you think that is? Well... For a couple of reasons. Number one, because I was bullied as a kid for being gay, because I had to hide who I was, um, both my religion and being gay within my religion. Uh, I lived overseas for a while, and when I lived overseas, I was there during a time of uh, unrest, and so I wasn't allowed out at night. We always had to travel in, in groups or pairs. Um, so I've been in a situation wow. where I've wow. been spit on for That's being American. So a lot of these things that people talk about as being privileged, I've experienced them. Now, not every day of my entire life, but it sort of drove home to me the fact that I am a middle-aged white male is what people see of me, but they are they can't see all the other stuff that's underneath. And to have someone look at me and think, oh, you know, on Facebook someone told me the other day, well, you know, you're you're a white male, the most privileged group, so you really should probably think about how other, how oh, other people sure think. I'm sure you hear that all the time. And I'm like, you know, you're right. I am a white male. I'm also gay. <laughs> There's all these other things I am. Um, but I think we've taken this privilege thing to be again. The whole idea that we're not going to look at people and judge is exactly what we're doing. We're looking at people and we're judging. Oh, he's a white male. He's privileged. Oh, she's a black female. She she's had a rough life. We're not only judging if you're a white male, you're by you're silenced by the French left. You're told to I mean, I've seen on Twitter people literally say sit down. Yeah. I mean, even the question you asked earlier about about, about, about about excuse me, about abortion. Should I have an opinion on abortion? Well, as a male, sure my opinion is gonna be different than what if what a woman has. And I try to make sure that when I am thinking about abortion, I'm thinking about it not just in the, it should never happen, because that's not a decision I'm ever going to have to make. But that doesn't mean I can't have an opinion. It doesn't mean I can't have a well-reasoned, informed opinion either. But I'm sure you've been told that you can't have oh, an opinion on abortion. Abortion, um, minorities, I've actually been told race I, relations. Race relations. I've actually been told I can't have an opinion on uh, being gay. They didn't know I was gay at the time. You know, it's <laughs> like I am gay. Did you disclose that? I did. That must have been a shocker. It was stupid. It was you know it was a Twitter thing. It was a yeah. Dumb. So usually what happens on for those of you who aren't on Twitter, usually what happens is if Mark were to disclose actually I am gay, 
the person attempting to cancel him because they're so crazy and they live at the fringes and they're on Twitter all the time would say, ha ha ha. Yeah. Right. Go F yourself. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, but you're, or, sure you are. or you're arguing against your interests. So therefore you're not arguing for the gays. I'm like, well, okay. So my, because I'm gay, I don't have, because I disagree with the, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's like criticisms of Clarence Thomas and people who say things like, I'm so glad there's going to be a black person on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Which sounds, it's that's so racist and offensive. Well, and I think we see it in other places too. I mean, I look at Glenn Lowry, some of these big... Love Glenn Lowry. Big name black thinkers, but they don't have the right black thought. Yeah, it's wrong thing. Yeah, you're listening to the wrong black people. I'm like, okay. Coleman Hughes, so now, John McWhorter. Now not only do I have to subscribe to your thoughts on race relations, but I also have to agree to only listen to the people that subscribe to your thoughts on race relations. Um, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Well, and what's so funny is people like Glenn and John McWhorter – especially John McWhorter, these are not, like, mega people. I mean, these are not, like, those two... Um, I'm trying to think. There were these two black women celebrities. Um, they weren't celebrities, but... I'm looking them up on uh, the internet right now. Um, there were some black women that came out in support of Trump, and they became celebrities, and they had, like nicknames like sugar and spice or something like that i mean that is not glenn lowry or john mcwhorter and yet they're labeled as wacko mega people because they don't fall in line with the with fringe left ideas about anti-racism if you don't subscribe to the kendi model of anti-racism then you're, you don't believe in anti-racism. Diamond and Silk, that's their name. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they actually made the New York Times. I don't know them. Yeah, um, Diamond and Silk, are, they're entertaining, if nothing else. Yeah. But, um, yeah, if you're, if it, I mean, Diamond and Silk are definitely canceled, for sure, in, in far, ring, far left progressive circles. Um, I have to go look them up now. It, yeah, I, yeah their, their names are Aneth... Anitha Lynette Hardaway and Hermithia Rochelle Hardaway Richardson, known as Diamond and Silk. They have live stream blogging. Um, and I think they might have even been on Fox for a time, and then Fox fired them um, because they were engaged in um, some covid stuff that even by fox standards were not were a little too far over the edge like even uh fox said it it kind of amounted to misinformation and conspiracy theories um well if both sides say it's misinformation then right i mean then it's really (laughs) that's saying something um okay what else do you want to talk about mark i think that covers it We've had a lot. Thank you so much for coming in. You know, initially, I hope it's okay that I'm saying this. I know you were, you had some trepidation about coming in. It felt like 
your story wasn't very interesting. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to find your perspectives fascinating, enlightening. I've learned a lot. I think a, a lot of listeners will learn a lot. And I just really thank you for coming in and for being so brave and telling your things like your coming out story and just really personal, emotional information about your family. I really thank you for that. Thanks for having me. It was, it was fun. I, yeah, I hope people will listen to it and realize that we're not all in one category that, you know, this whole idea of intersectionality really does mean we have lots of different facets to us. for joining us. I'm so appreciative of all of you. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, share a link of an episode that you like with a friend. It really does make a difference. And also, if you have any suggestions about guests that you want to hear on the podcast, please send us a message on Twitter. You can find us at Rational in PDX on Twitter, and direct messages are open. Please feel free to communicate with us on there. Follow us on Twitter. Chances are, if you send us a guest recommendation, you will end up hearing that guest on this podcast because the people that you want to hear are people that all the rest of us, including myself, want to hear. Thank you again so much, and we'll see you next time on Rational in Portland.